Welcome once again to No Apology with the Bible Idiots. It is Wednesday and that means we will be bringing to you today our long form teaching. And today Chris is going to be taking us into the book of 1 Samuel. And his message is entitled, The Toolbox When God Builds a King. He's going to be looking into the life of David. So, getting into chapter 16, here is 1 Samuel with Chris Danielson. You can have that life that lives for Jesus Christ in a way that's better today than it was yesterday. And I've used the analogy for many, many years about seat time in a race car because I know what that means. And you also know what seat time means because you can fill in the blank for your life. You slowly become more unconsciously competent in what you're doing the more you do it. And to have an understanding of how the breaking point is in a race car or the breaking point is with what you're doing, let's say it's sewing. You sit down at a sewing machine, you get better and better at it, don't you? And you also know you can only push that machine so hard. So whether it's racing, whether it's sewing, or whether it's something else, cooking, you can only boil the cabbage so long before it turns to mush. You got to know when to pull it back. You got to know when to dial it up, and you got to know when to dial it down. And we're going to use David as our example today. And I'm going to say maybe six or seven out of the next 15 to 20 weeks, David's going to reappear. And I want to talk to you today about the toolbox when God builds a king. And you want to know something? If Jesus is our inheritance, then we are also kings and queens. We are also children of God, children of the Most High. And as he builds us, there's certain things that happen in David's life that I want to share with you. And I want you to understand that There is no perfect life in Christ. And when I talked about pushing for elite, I've made it very clear. I don't know what that means. But I do know that if you love Jesus Christ as your Savior because he first loved you and you've accepted his mercies, you're going to want to push to be the best that you can be for him. It's what happens in our spirit. That's the Holy Spirit-infused life. That's what happens. So let's take David as our example today, and let's open our Bibles to the first uh, Psalm 16th chapter, and we're going to read verses 14 through 23 of 1 Samuel 16, 14 through 23, and I'm going to ask you for the last time today to stand for the reading of God's Word. Starting in verse 14, chapter 16, 1 Samuel, now the Spirit of the Lord left Saul, and an evil spirit was sent from the Lord, began to torment him. So Saul's servant said to him, You see that an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command your servants here in your presence to look for someone who knows how to play the lyre. When the evil spirit from God comes on you, that person can play the lyre and you will feel better. Then Saul commanded his servants, Find me someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre, he is also a valiant man, a warrior, eloquent, handsome, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul dispatched messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David, who was with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and wineskin and a young goat and sent them by his son David to Saul. When David came to Saul and entered his service, Saul loved him very much. 
and David became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, let David remain in my service, for he has found favor with me. Whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would pick up the lyre and play, and Saul would then be relieved, feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, let these be your words. Speak to your children now in this time of worship. Amen. Be seated, please. So at one point in his life, King Saul had been used by God to accomplish great things. Yet in these verses, we find a king that's now living through some desperate days. And Saul had rebelled against God. He didn't wait upon God. And God had removed his spirit from King Saul and allowed an evil spirit to torment him. Saul was gripped by depression in verse 23. A violent mood swings. If you go to chapter 18 and chapter 19, Saul's all over the map. And in an effort to help him, his servants say, hey, we know a kid who can play the harp, basically, is what the liar is. It's soothing music. And it was uh, thought in that time, and we still, I believe, think this way today, soothing music can bring comfort, can't it? Or when I turn on my jazz music, am I deceiving myself? It has been said that music charms the, the soothe the savage beast. That's another interpretation. And it worked for Saul in verse 23. So it's this backdrop of depression, madness, and spiritual tragedy that David once again comes onto the main stage in the biblical text for us to learn from, for us to glean from. And David is no question God's man. And what I love about David the most is we're going to look at over seven weeks that might, you know, it's not going to be just in a row over the summer. We're going to pick our points, but this series is coming back to you. Because David was God's man. He was a man after God's own heart, and he had some great successes. You could say that maybe he drove the perfect lap, maybe that he was an elite servant, but he also had major downfalls, which is a great example for many of us who've also had major downfalls. See, David was already anointed to be the next king of Israel, but Saul was to occupy the throne until David, as a young shepherd boy, actually grew to the status to be a king. So God used some tools to develop David as a king, and he needed to do this to David so that he could handle what was coming his way, which we find all throughout the scriptures, and, and it's just an amazing story when you stop and, and take a look at it. In fact, it's so amazing that I think it'll take me seven weeks to unpack it for us so that we can really get our minds around how God took his time with David so that David could withstand everything that he was going to have to go through. I can pretty much guarantee you that no human, including David, would have chosen these tools. But they were what God used to prepare him for what lies ahead. And I'm interested in this today because it's the same tools that God uses when he seeks to train us. You see, God did not have to uh, do this with David, but David wanted God's best. He was God's man. We don't need this either, but if we want to serve Jesus, God will use these types of things for us. You see, here's the dealio. God did not save us to leave us as he found us. And that's part of the challenge of the Christianity in America, especially the last 50 years when you look at the history. We get saved and we don't know how to grow. We don't know how to, to, to go to the next level with the Lord, and he wants us to. 
And in fact, our society spins it the other way. This is how you can have this much sin and still get into heaven. It's like, that's stupid. Why think that way? How about God saved me. He's not going to leave me the way he found me. He's going to transform me into the image of his son, and I'm going along for the ride. And not only that, but I'm going to apply myself. And how do I do that? Well, God uses tools that he gives us in our life, and some of them don't look that great. We're going to talk about it today. But for those of you taking notes for your life group, he transforms us into the image of his son. Jot down Romans 8, 28 and Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. Look that up later. See, God's going to use these certain tools in your life and in mine, and they're suited for the work of transformation. I've got four of them listed. We're going to go through them. They're in your notes today. And he uses this not only to build a king, but he uses this to build us up to reflect Jesus Christ, which we all naturally through the Spirit want to do in spite of our attitudes. It's something that we want to do because the Holy Spirit gives us that. Now, we can reject it. We can fight it off. But the Holy Spirit, when it comes upon you, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, you want to grow in him. And these are the tools that we have. Let's start with number one. God uses the tool of solitude. In verse 19, it talks a little bit about, about David, the one who is with the sheep. See, it's on these lonely hills of Judea that David's got nobody but these sheep for his buds. Those, those are his companions. And he learned some basic, valuable lessons of life. He learned how to be alone with God and with himself, away from the distraction and the noise of others. David learned how to hear the voice of God. David learned how to commune with God. He learned how to worship the Lord, and he learned how to be at peace with himself. I can't put a value on the ability to be at peace with yourself and to hear from the voice of God. It's priceless. And it takes time to learn. Many in our day, we, we have, a lot of us don't have any idea what it's like to be alone with God. Some of us have trouble actually even being alone with ourselves. Some of us can't survive without the noise, without the activity, without the company of others. Do you know that our Savior took intentional time to be alone, particularly alone with the Father? I've got four verses I want to show you just to emphasize that point. Let's go to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up and went out and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. How about Luke 4, <clears throat> 42? When it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place, but the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. Luke 6, 12. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. Do you notice in, in verse, six, or verse 12 there of Luke 6, it says, during those days. It didn't say on that day. Do you get what I'm saying? More than once. As the mumbo-jumbo was happening, Jesus would say, I'm done. I'm going out to just hang out with God, with my Father, all night. John 6, 15. 
Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. See, if the Son of God saw value in the needed benefit of being alone with the Lord, how much more do we need that kind of intimacy with the Father? There was a movie made about it called War Room, where you go into the closet and pray. I've always wondered what the Kendrick brothers' pitch to Sony would have been, because Sony is the one who's been putting up the money for the Kendrick film since Facing the Giants. Can you imagine going in there? Alex Kendrick actually tells the story. They went in there and they said, okay, here's our next big movie. We're going to have an African-American lady go into a closet and pray. The guy at Sony sat there for a long time and said, you guys made me some money. Go ahead and make your bomb. Thought it was going to bomb. If you don't know the movie War Room, you need to look it up later and it'll, it'll all make sense. See, we need to learn to hear his voice and to walk with him, and it's in times of solitude that God prepares us for greater things. And now, get it in your heart and mind. Don't miss this. If you take one thing away from this message, I want it to be this. Ready? When I say better and you grow and you're for greater things in the Lord, get this. Greater things may not look like what the world says is greater. Make sense? God's way of greater is so much different than the way we look at things. So we need to make and take the time to get alone with God away from the hustle and bustle of life. We need to do it intentionally. Find a place where you can commune with God in secret. A place where you can hear his voice without all the distractions of the life clamoring for your attention. So God can use the tool of solitude. Let's go to point two. God uses the tool of privacy. God uses the tool of privacy. Before David could ever sit on the throne and rule the nation of Israel, he would spend countless of hours alone, unacknowledged, and unappreciated. Now this is different from solitude. This is faithfulness when no one is looking. Hear me now. This is faithfulness when no one is looking. Day after day after day after day, did I mention after day, David spent time with his father's sheep on the hills of Judea. There he learned to be faithful in his responsibilities, even though no one was watching. He learned obedience. He learned humility. He learned to be watchful. He learned lessons in these secret places that he could have never learned in a place of prominence. He was trained in the classroom of obscurity. And when he finally received the attention and the applause of others, it didn't go to his head because he had learned that the lesson that he had no one else to please but the Lord. He had learned the lesson there is no one that he needed to please other than the Lord. And in the coming chapters, he does some amazing things because he trusts the Lord. God always trains his people in private before he uses them in public. Before Elijah stood on the, in Carmel in power over all those prophets of Baal, he learned to walk with God faithfully in private. Check it out in 1 Kings 17 and 18. Before Elisha stood before Israel as the prophet of God, he followed around on the coattails of Elijah. Before Moses was fit to lead Israel, he spent 40 years in the shadow uh, leading Je- uh, Jethro's sheep out in the uh, hills of Mount Horeb. The same truth can be said of the life of Jesus. 
before he ever presented himself to Israel as their Messiah and the Savior of the elect, he was raised in obscurity. Look up Luke 2, 51 and 52. And don't forget, at the, at the wedding of Cana, what did he tell his mom? My time has not yet come. See, he knew he was still being trained in obscurity in private. But that was when God put him forward. See, God is so amazing. His ways are so much higher than our ways. He even prepared the lamb for his greatest work in privacy. Therefore, you and I should never despise the days of obscurity. Look, we all want to be used greatly by the Lord, those of us that know him. We want God to do through us what we've heard of him doing through others. But what we must also realize is that it may not be God's will for us to do what others have done. And sometimes God puts things on our heart that, that he wants us to try to accomplish. And other times we want to go try to accomplish things for the Lord that he didn't really want us to set out to do. How do you know the difference? Discernment. How do you get discernment? Through solitude alone with God and through the private training of the Lord. That's how you do it. See, God knows where we are, and in his time, he will use us when, where, and to the extent that he chooses. And then you trust his sovereignty. I'm convinced that there are some big dogs in, in ministry. There are some big shooters, you know, ah, they're, they're so cool. They're so super nationwide names that on Judgment Day, there's going to be some obscure, obscure saints who nobody knows their name who Jesus is going to bring to the forefront in front of everybody while these big dogs have to go take a second, second seat, sit down in the second row. I believe that that's how God does things. I'm convinced that God's greatest rewards are reserved for the saints who labor in the secret closets of prayer and who have this obscurity to their life, but there's a faithfulness that is so far above what I have seen in my life that I don't envy them, but I want to pursue it for myself, and I hope you feel the same way. Because you want to know something? If you are one of those obscure, faithful saints, you won't look at yourself as one. That's part of it. You're like, Chris, you're probably not making any sense. I'm like, okay, let me put it another way. He saves his best for those who have gone unnoticed, unrecognized, unacknowledged, and unappreciated. And those who are unnoticed, unrecognized, unacknowledged, and unappreciated when they're serving Jesus with everything they've got don't care about being recognized or appreciated because they're doing it for one. They're doing it for the Lord. Make sense? I believe God has something special waiting on those saints who have been carrying the burdens of others without any recognition, without any appreciation. They just do it. See, people may never see what you do in that private place, but God will not forget you. His word says it over and over and over again. Think of the widow with her might. We don't even know her name. But yet for 2,000 years, we've been talking about her story of her great sacrifice. If I told you there was a man in, in scriptures that did a great thing one time, and his name was Her, H-U-R, would you know who he was? It's in Exodus 17, 12. When Moses couldn't keep his arms up anymore, Aaron grabbed one side and lifted up the arm. Who did the other side? Some dude named Her, H-U-R. 
Or what about the story of Mary in John 12? I mean, there's so many more. Precious saints of God who just carry on, who just do it. They just get it done. And I want you to know, all of us who are doing our thing in obscurity, there is a payday someday. God may use us in a public way. And from somebody who's been there before, let me tell you, it ain't all that. It's more precious when Jesus gets the glory and he is doing things that are so far beyond our ability. It's amazing. He trains us in the private place. He's getting the glory to himself, and that's all that matters to to those of us who are deeply surrendered to him. Point number three, God uses the tool of monotony. God uses the tool of monotony. This one drives me crazy as as a person. Those of you who've known me for longer than five minutes knows that the monotonous life was never something I was called to. In the middle of monotony, if I can't tell jokes or play a practical joke or something, I don't know how I'm going to survive till the next hour. But there can be little doubt that day blended into day, blended into day, blended into day, and David went about the monotony of keeping his father's sheep. Countless days, endless routines, the same thing day in and day out. Many of us have been there. Many of us are there. Some of you have tomorrow off, but Tuesday you're going to punch back in and do the same thing again. This is what marked the life of David. It was the monotonous routine of life that David learned to be a man of God. And both men and women here and listening online, that's how we can become people of God. You can be God's woman. You can be God's man. It was there on those mountains doing the same thing day after day, that David learned the priceless lesson of faithfulness. David applied himself to the task of giving his best during the mundane times of life. You want to know how you're walking with Jesus? You want to want to scorecard yourself? In the middle of that mundane stuff, are you faithful with what you've been given? And do you still have joy that Jesus saved you? See, It was during that time after that that God promoted him. And some of us, we're striving for that promotion in God's kingdom, and we might not even know what it looks like, but you'll feel it. You're as close to Jesus as you'll ever be once you're saved, but now you're going to grow stronger in him as a growing organism. We're we're going to have different moments of of complete, we're we're like a plant, we're, we're in bloom, and you know it. See, David didn't have to learn the responsibility of being faithful in the small things when he became king because he had already learned that lesson leading up to him being king. God used the unending monotony of the routine to shape David for greater things. And that's the same thing for us. It's the same thing for us. Often days blend into days, blend into days, and we see our lives as nothing but this boring, monotonous existence. What is the meaning of life? And as life unfolds, day upon changeless day, we start learning to be faithful in these little things. And in all these little things that we're faithful in, we start to see God bloom greater in our hearts and our minds. He shows up greater in our hearts and minds, right in the middle of the mundane. Look, 
Don't ever kid yourself. If you can't be faithful with the little things, you ain't going to be faithful with the big things. You get too much change back at the register at the grocery store, and you know it. They're counting you back $3, and one of them's a five, and you look at it, and the cashier doesn't notice it, and you notice it. If you can't be faithful to hand that back then, you're not going to be faithful in anything that has to do with money. You follow? Matthew 25, 21. It says this. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Enter into the joy of your Lord. What's the joy of your Lord? The joy of the Lord is that you were faithful in the small things and so he can trust you in the big things because if you're faithful in all of the little things, the bigger things are just that much easier. When life seems like drudgery, keep walking faithfully with God. He's preparing you for greater things. And greater things doesn't mean a bigger ministry or or bigger career. It could be greater things in the kingdom that don't look like greater things in man's life. But he's preparing you for those things. Little things are the foundation of our lives. Keep praying even when it feels like he's not listening. Keep going to church even if it feels like nothing's happening. And then you come to LifeHouse, we've got room for you here. But if LifeHouse ain't your cup of tea, get somewhere where the gospel's preached. And in Abilene, I can count at least three churches I feel are pretty good. You know, I don't care where it is. I want you here. Covenant partners have said, we're going to be here together. Come be a covenant partner. Join us. Be here with us. But if not here, somewhere else, keep going to church. Keep giving, even if it gets tight financially. Keep living for Jesus day in and day out. Refuse to turn your back or waver following him just because the world says that it's uncool to be a Christian. In his time, he will bless you and reward you for being faithful during the routine times of life. That's the fact, Jack. You can mark my words on that. Let's go to point number four as we bring it home today. This one is the one that I I personally dislike the most. God uses the tool of struggle. God uses the tool of struggle. I hate struggling. I like chill. I got to go to the lake in Minnesota last week. That was so chill. It was so great. I caught a five-pound bass, largemouth bass. It was beautiful. That fish struggled, man. I struggled with him. I got it in the boat, got a picture. I don't know if you saw it on Facebook, but Emily's like, look, there's a largemouth. And he caught a fish. (laughs) The struggle of life. You know, they talk about the astronauts when they'd go out into space and they'd be out there for so long, they'd have no, no, no struggle, no pressure on their, their bones and their joints. They'd get back home. They'd actually have to teach them how to, how to walk. Do you know that if you live a completely chill life that that's bad for you physically, spiritually? 
David's life was not about all about the mundane routine. We hear him telling about quarter, encounters he had with a lion and the bear in uh, 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 37. We watch as he walks alone into the valley and kills a giant named Goliath. We preached that message about three weeks ago, four weeks ago. That's in 17, 40 through 51. We see, we see David ignored. We see him criticized. We see him underestimated. We can even see him as he is hated and pursued by Saul in chapters 18 and 19 of 1 Samuel. It's all right there. There's struggle. And that's just the initial struggle before he became king. Once he became king, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, the pain that David would have had to experience with Absalom is more than I can hardly... I can't even read it some days. It's hard to even read thinking about your, your firstborn son trying to overthrow you as king while you're trying to be faithful and loving that child. There's so many great people in pages of Scripture where God used adversity as a valuable tool to teach about the power and provision and providence of God. And David's no different and you and I are no different. The three Hebrew children standing before the fiery furnace. How about Daniel? How about Elijah? How about Noah? How about the widow of 2 Kings chapter 4, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in John chapter 11, the thief on the cross, etc., 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 etc. It's all there. It's all there. God allowed David to walk through some hard places so that he might use him in a greater fashion. We're going to be going through some hard stuff coming. Many of us have already been through some hard stuff. One of the greatest joys and tragedies of being the pastor of this church is to sit and walk with some of you through your past as you pray through it and through your current situation as you walk through it and to try to see God work you to build you stronger for the future. It's, it's exhausting and exhilarating at the same time to be the man that God put here to be here for you. And don't ever forget that. My phone number should be printed in the bulletin. You should call me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whenever you need me. I'm here for you. That's my heart. I don't have that. God put it there when he called me to be the pastor of Lifehouse Church. I'm scared to say that because I know a couple of you have a sense of humor. You'll set your alarm for one o'clock just to call me in the morning. See if I'll answer. Ask Emily. I always answer my phone. If I don't answer my phone, it's because it wasn't, I was out mowing the lawn or something. I just answer the phone. I can't tell you how many times I could have renewed my warranty on my car. (laughs) A lot. I just answer the phone. My Camry has 250,000 miles. Who's putting a warranty on that? Come on. Anyway, God used struggle and had David walk through some hard places, and a lot of us have walked through some hard places. But God can use that. That can be the frosting on the cake. And when you're going through those hard places, the covenant partners, those of us, the, the idea of the covenant partnership is we're together. We're, to get, we're staying together, and we're going to carry each other's burdens. We're going to lift each other's up. And there's nothing that the covenant partners can do that will separate us from the love of God because we're in it together. That's what a covenant partnership is. And God will work us on the stone of affliction. He does that to his people. I don't know why, but he does. He does so that we might be used of him in a greater way. You life group note takers, write down 2 Corinthians 1, 4 through 6. Look it up later. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, 4 through 6. Of course, many people don't respond correctly to their struggles. 
Hi, I'm Chris, and I struggle with my struggles. I get upset, and I'm not alone. Many people get torqued off, and they sit down on the Lord. And it has been said, life is about 10% of what happens to you and 90% about how you react to what happens to you. May God help us not to despise the tool of struggles, for it can build character far quicker than any of the tools in God's tool chest. Let's conclude. As David was molded upon the wheel of life, God was shaping a boy into a man who would become king. Let's take a look at verse 18. Gives a glimpse of the man that David would one day become. But here we can see the attributes that mark David's lives. These are the same attributes that should be true of us. Why? Because these are the characteristics God's wish to develop in each of our lives. It says, one of the young men answered, I have seen the son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He is also a, there it is, a valiant man. And here the word man can be switched to man and women, to be valiant, to be a warrior, to be eloquent, to be handsome. Let me tell you something. The most ugliest duckling of all of the human race, when they accept Jesus as their Savior, there's a beautiful radiance that comes off of them. They're handsome. They're beautiful. And when God gives you the eyes to see and the ears to hear, you see the beauty in every one of his creations. And you don't look at them the way man looks at them. And then the big one. This is the big one. And the Lord is with him. Can you say that about yourself? And if you're a lady, can you switch it to her? The Lord is with her. The Lord is with him. I don't want anything said about me except for that. That pastor at Lifehouse Church, the Lord's with him. How do you say that? Well, he's kind of a loudmouth loser, but yet somehow God uses him. I mean, come on now. If you don't see the fact that any of my preaching that's affected any of you in a positive way cannot come back to me, it's because the Lord was with us. We surrender ourselves. We reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We trust him for the results because we can't do it ourselves. Even if we could put together a manipulation plan to get people to do behavior modification, it's still weak and it fades. When the Lord is with you, it stays and it lasts for how long? Eternity. Eternity. As you look at the life you're living, can you recognize the qualities that mark David's life in your own? Can you see the evidence of God's work in you as it ought to be? And if you can see room for improvement, then I challenge you, come before the Lord. Go to your secret place. Go to your solitude place and have him work with you through privacy through the privacy of being faithful in the little things, through every struggle that you have in your life, you pick up that struggle and you praise God for it and you say, Lord, take this from me, but until you do, I'm going to praise you. And God is in the build business of building kings and queens and they are going to be strong covenant partners for 2021 and beyond in Abilene, Kansas at Lifehouse Church. And I hope that you are one of them. So I end with a question. What is God doing? 
What is Jesus Christ doing? What is the Holy Spirit doing in your life? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you sometimes for the unthankable. We thank you because we know that you hold us in your grip. And we know that these temporary afflictions are, are, are momentary. And yet you can use them for your glory. We love you and praise you and thank you, Jesus. We ask that you would bless each person throughout this day as we head into the month of June in 2021, that we would be strong for kingdom's sake, not for our own sake. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for tuning in to our Sunday message. To donate, request prayer, or to contact Pastor Chris, you can write to Lifehouse Church at P.O. Box 661, Abilene, Kansas, 67410, or go online at lifehouse-church.com. On behalf of the entire congregation, thanks again for your support.